Hey there, it's Peter. As you might have figured out recently when you tried to listen to our show and got somebody else's, or tried to listen to another show and got ours, we screwed up. NPR made a change to our web servers that we didn't expect to have any effect on our podcasts, and we were wrong. As far as I know, this is the first mistake of any kind NPR has ever made, ever, about anything, and it feels, oh, odd. The change forced a bunch of episodes into NPR podcast feeds, resulting in downloads you didn't ask for. It also made it hard or impossible for you to find and listen to your favorite NPR podcasts. We're really sorry for this. Especially because, trust me, last week's Wait, Wait was fantastic. Best ever. I feel terrible. You didn't get to hear it. We fixed the root cause of the problem shortly after we discovered it, but it took a while for that fix to make it to all the podcast apps. I'm told it has to do with the size of the tubes the Internet is made of. If you unsubscribed from this show or any other NPR show, please take a minute to resubscribe. It'll work this time. If you are still having problems, just go to npr.org help. We're taking steps to make sure nothing like this ever happens again. For one thing, no more letting the kids manage the podcast servers during Take Your Child to Work Day. We're done with that. It was a bad idea. Thanks for listening. And now, on to our show. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Hey, Arthur Miller, step into this crucible. <laughs> I'm Bill Curtis. And here's your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Segal. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. We have a very interesting show for you today. Later on, we're going to be talking to Microsoft co-founder Steve Ballmer. He is, we believe, the richest guest we've ever had. But, of course, your true wealth is measured in your friends. And this just in, he has more friends, too. Um, <laughs> But first, uh, as many of you know, the NPR podcast feeds got all screwed up last week. People who tried to download our show got, uh, for example, How I Built This instead, for which I apologize. And the people who wanted How I Built This got us, for which I apologize even more. <laughs> so if this time you can hear us, we want to hear you. The number is one wait wait That's one 8924 Let's welcome our first listener contestant this week. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, Peter. This is Gabriel Galvez of Washington, D.C. Hey, Gabriel. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. What do you do there in Washington? Uh, well, I'm a student at George Washington University, but I'm also an analytics intern for Amtrak. Well, that's exciting. So you're doing the trains. How are the trains doing? Uh, they've been going all right. I love working at Amtrak so far. Um, it's a great job, and I get to meet a ton of great people every single day. That's great. Do you get free train rides? Uh, I do. I get unlimited business travel, and I get a handful of uh, pa uh, personal passes, but it's kind of hard to ride Amtrak to where I'm actually from, but, <laughs> you know. Where are you actually from? Uh, San Diego, California. Oh. <laughs> it's forever. great, man. By the time you go home to visit your parents, you have to turn around and come back. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to our show, Gabriel. Let me introduce you to our panel this week. First up, a writer and performer you can see in the final season of Veep on HBO. It's Peter Gross. Hello. Thank you. Next, it's a feature writer for the style section of the Washington Post. It's Roxanne Roberts. Hello, Catherine. And it's a comedian performing June 21st of the 23rd at Clusterfest in San Francisco's Civic Center Plaza and the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium. Joining us for the first time, it's Petey D'Abru. Hey. 
So, Gabriel, welcome to the show. You're going to play Who's Bill this time. Bill Curtis is going to read for you three quotations from this week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain two of them, you will win our prize. Any voice from our show you might choose on your voicemail. You ready to go? Absolutely. Let's All do right. it. Here we go. Your first quote is from Attorney General William Barr. He's talking about some mail he recently got. You know, the letter was a bit snitty. <laughs> so Mr. Barr apparently just didn't appreciate the tone in the letter he got from whom? I believe that's Nancy Pelosi. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he heard snitty. I don't think Nancy Pelosi sends letters. <laughs> Nancy, Nancy you don't Pelosi. hear her coming. No. <laughs> This is the letter that was leaked this week. It turns out it had been sent to Mr. Barr by this gentleman right after Mr. Barr had sent out his summary of the Mueller report. Oh, that must be Mr. Trump. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I don't think our president actually writes letters. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not doing too hot right now. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's all right. So, I'll give it to you. It's Robert Mueller wrote this letter. <laughs> I know, we don't. Robert Mueller doesn't write letters, we didn't know. After years of silence, as he was viciously attacked by the president and his allies, slandered and threatened, special counsel Robert Mueller had enough. His fury ignited. He rose up, clenched his fist, and typed a letter. <laughs> Which was tough, because with his fist clenched, he had to use his knuckles. <laughs> so Mueller sent this letter to William Barr, criticizing the way Barr had distorted Mueller's findings about President Trump. The letter said Barr's summary did not, quote, capture the context, nature, and substance of the investigation, unquote. Barr then summarized that letter to the press, saying, quote, Robert Mueller says, I look like I've lost some weight. <laughs> <laughs> There's just such an unfortunate amount of not conclusive stuff that's going on. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Like, it's, it just feels like... Leading up to the report, I feel like everybody, even on both sides, you just want like some definitive answer. Yeah. And this is just yet another you thing. You want closure. I want closure. I want like the last scene of a movie and we're right. getting like page 407 of I, a like thousand page book. I think, I think like, it depends. <laughs> I, do, like, I think a lot depends on what movie you want to see the last scene of. Do you want to see like the last scene of uh, Return of the Jedi where all the Ewoks are dancing on Endor? Or is it more like the last scene of The Godfather where everybody's dead? <laughs> <laughs> which, which are you looking for? Oh. Or, Those are my only two choices. Or, or I, and I'm, no one has ever said this, but I'm choosing Ewoks over The Godfather. All right. <laughs> see, maybe it's more like The Sopranos where it's just black and then you get to decide what happens. Oh my God. But I yeah, think that that's was so what's satisfying. Happening. That's what's happening. It's like there's... There's like no definitive thing. And then even Mueller's letter is like, I disagree with the conclusions that you drew about. Like, he, he should have written a letter. It was like, you scoundrel. Yes. You're a liar. <laughs> well, that would have been much Peter, more exciting. One of the interesting things about this that didn't get a, a lot of attention this week is that Mueller and Barr are old friends. Barr talked about this during his confirmation hearings. They've known each other for 30 years. Their wives go to Bible study together. Of course, Barr's wife insists the Ten Commandments are really just suggestions. <laughs> More of a listicle than anything else. <laughs> They get to, can you imagine how like incredibly awkward these people's game night is? They all get together, Barr and Mueller and their <laughs> wives, and they like play Scrabble, and it's Robert Mueller's turn, and he takes two years to play. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Gabriel, here 
is your next quote. The fact that it's 2019 and we're dealing with this is ridiculous. That was a student at UCLA who recently found out that she is among the many people who might have been exposed to what disease making a comeback? Measles. Measles, that's right, Gabriel. Measles is, of course, uh, the disease that's so contagious you caught it just because I said its name just now. (laughs) America had eliminated measles, but then people started saying the measles vaccine was bad for you. So now there are 700 reported cases of measles nationwide and people are freaking out. Parents are trying to deny that they are the problem. No, my kid doesn't have measles. He's a bodybuilder and that's just back knee. (laughs) And front knee. (laughs) <laughs> and arm knee and face knee and high knee. So many people are responsible for this crisis, this anti-vaccine crisis. There's the right-wing nutjobs, the left-wing nutjobs, religious nutjobs, libertarian nutjobs. It's so great that in this divided time we live in, <laughs> all sides can get together to do something deeply stupid. <laughs> now the question is, is this cruise ship? That's yes. infected this Scientology yes. cruise ship. So the question is. Wait, is, I don't know about well, this. Well, well, should, uh, <laughs> go ahead. All right. So uh, did something bad happen to the Scientologists? So there's this, oh, no. There's this Scientology. There's this Scientology. Uh, that was Petey, by the way. When, when, you, yeah. when you come with your uh, with your weird assassins in the dark, yeah. that's Petey, and he lives in the Bronx. Um, so yes, there's this Scientology cruise. And they have been uh, quarantined off an island in the Caribbean because there's a measles outbreak on board. This is crazy because measles is not the worst thing to ever happen on a cruise, people. (laughs) Hell, measles is an upgrade from what you usually get on a cruise, am I right? You're talking about the entertainment, right? Yeah, no. (laughs) Gabriel, your last quote is from a Burger King customer. If you don't tell anybody, they don't know. That man was talking about the taste of a new Whopper that Burger King is selling, the first ever Whopper that does not contain what? Uh, beef. Right, meat, Ooh. beef, very good. It's called the Impossible Burger. It's the all-vegetable patty that tastes amazingly like beef. Burger King offered them as a limited experiment. It was so successful, they're extending it nationwide, which m- could mean that non-vegetarians are choosing the burger which is amazing, or it could just mean that anybody who goes into a Burger King is beyond caring what they eat anyway. <laughs> here's the thing, here's the, and I've tasted it, it's great, but here's is the it thing, really? it's terrific. No, I, I, I want honestly, because honestly, usually they're terrible. Yeah, uh, this tastes like beef, but here's the thing, it's still really bad for you. It has to be in order to taste that good. It's got all kinds of fats to make it take, give it that juicy taste. And, and listen to some of the ingredients, right? Soy protein concentrate, methyl celluloids, so leghemoglobin. Oh, it does sound gross. It does so, sound no, gross. I'm so hungry. Oh. <laughs> but if you think that sounds gross, just try listing the ingredients of a typical fast food hamburger. Head, tongue, <laughs> kidney, horse. I thought that was just Ikea. <laughs> Bill, how did Gabriel do in our quiz? He got two out of three, and that is good enough for a win. Congratulations. Thank you, Gabriel. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for playing, man. Right now, panel, it's time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Peter, an investigation by CBS News reported this week that some schools are frantically using scotch tape roses and old gum to try and teach kids what? 
Uh, they're trying to teach kids what it's like when your school's budget gets cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're all, can I have a little hint? Well, some, it's like, well, sometimes when a piece of tape and a rose love each other very much. They're trying to teach them sex ed? Yes! <laughs> to gotcha. be fair, these are the methods used to teach something called abstinence-only sex ed, which is sort of like starvation-only cooking class. <laughs> So, for example, a teacher will stick a piece of tape on a student's arm and then tell the kid to pull it off, right? And then they hand the tape to the next kid. And of course, at that point, the tape has like hair on it. And it's like, put it on your arm. Oh, it doesn't stick as well the second time, right? Which is why you should never have sex. <laughs> so I get the gum, but right. how do the roses work? The rose works be in the similar way is what they do. The teacher says, here's a beautiful rose, never been touched. Isn't it beautiful? And you hand it to the first kid and the first kid holds it. Well, pass it to the second kid. The second kid gets it and they pass it around the class. And by the time the rose has been passed around with very many, shall we say, partners, mm -hmm. it looks bedraggled and tired. Oh, the slutty rose. The slutty rose, yes. <laughs> And then there's the one kid in the corner who's like, I didn't get to hold the rose. <laughs> and then there's the other Will kid who's like, get to hold the <laughs> And then there's the other kid that's like, I like thorns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Coming up, we go visit some landmarks in our Bluff the Listener game called one triple eight wait wait to play We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Nature's Way, maker of herbal supplements from ashwagandha to turmeric. Nature's Way believes nature knows best. This is why since 1969, they have sought out the best herbs the earth has to give and why they travel the world to the places where herbs grow best to ensure they always deliver the purest botanicals possible. Find out more today at naturesway.com. If you love this show, then check out Life Kit, tools to help you get it together. Think of it as that friend who always has great advice on everything from how to invest to how to get a great workout. Subscribe to Life Kit All Guides to get episodes on every topic all in one place. Find it in Apple Podcasts or at npr.org slash lifekit. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Peter Gross, Roxanne Roberts, and Petey Diabru. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Right now it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game called 1-888-WAIT-WAIT-TO-PLAY-OUR-GAME in the air. Hi, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, this is Chad Landrum. I'm from Bloomington, Indiana. All right, and what do you do in Bloomington? I'm a special ed teacher for middle school. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's a, that's a challenging job. Do you enjoy it? I do enjoy it a lot, but challenging is definitely the way I would also describe it. So what do you do to relax after a hard day at school? I find cross-stitching and baking to be both like relaxing and rewarding hobbies. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, welcome to the show, Chad. 
You're going to play our game in which you must try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what's Chad's topic? Stand up straight, Tower of Pisa. We must do everything we can to preserve the world landmarks we have, which is why, for example, Egyptians brush and floss the pyramids twice a day. <laughs> this week, we heard, though, about a landmark in danger. Our panelists are going to tell you about it. Pick the one who's telling the truth. You'll win our prize, the wait waiter of your choice on your voicemail. You ready to play? Yeah. All right, then. Let's hear first from Peter Gross. The Sydney Opera House is a cultural landmark and source of national pride for Australians, but this week the staff there discovered a shocking fact. Opera might be destroying the Opera House. The current production at the theatre is a new work by the Australian composer Oliver Bailey called Outback. It's billed as Oklahoma meets Lion King, set in the Australian Outback. <laughs> the first act closing number is meant to duplicate the sound of a kangaroo stampede and is sung by a 100-member chorus of all bass parts, the lowest notes that men can sing. As the song begins, it's mezzo forte and allegro. Not vivace, mind you, but pretty allegro. <laughs> then the accelerando and crescendo kick in, and it is definitely vivace and also pretty freaking forte. <laughs> then there's another shift, and we are all the way to presto and fortissimo. Thank you very much. But by the end, it is full-on prestitissimo and fortississimo. So, you know, it's fast and loud. <laughs> During the performance Tuesday night, the stage began to sink and several performers lost their balance and toppled over, adding an unintended touch of physical comedy to a dramatic kangaroo slaughter. <laughs> At intermission, engineers examined the stage and discovered cracks in the foundation. Just as soprano notes can shatter glass, it turns out all that bass was literally shaking the foundation. Opera House officials are raising money for repairs, and Bailey is being asked to rewrite the opera to be less destructive. The 100 Kangaroo Stampede will now be a 10 koala stroll, <laughs> and the bass parts will shift to the slightly higher baritone register. The notes are so high, I feel like a castrati, said renowned Italian basso Giacomo Aprile. Also, what the heck is this show about the anyway? <laughs> the Sydney Opera House put at risk by an opera. Outback, your next story of a landmark in trouble comes from Roxanne Roberts. You thought travel made you urbane and sophisticated? Yeah, right. Turns out most of the tourists on Easter Island have the maturity of your average 12-year-old. <laughs> the famous and mysterious stone statues erected between 1100 and 1400 AD are threatened because so many people are ignoring rules by climbing on top of the statues to get photos of themselves picking the giant noses <laughs> of the sacred stone heads. These juvenile pranks are compounding the natural erosion of the fragile volcanic rock, all for a cheap Instagram laugh. Quote, I'm troubled by the lack of genuine interest in the island and its people, University of California archaeologist Joanne Van Tilburg told Newsweek. Scientists estimate that the 150,000 tourists per year could ruin the World Heritage Site, destroying both the ancient art and the local economy. So island officials are creating new restrictions to limit access to the heads. So yes, you can choose your own adventure, but you can't pick its nose. <laughs> <laughs> tourists ruining the mysterious ancient heads of Easter Island by picking their noses. Your last story of a historic site in danger comes from Peter Dabrit. The great clock on Big Ben is a fixture of London, along with Buckingham Palace, the Tower of London, and fog. <laughs> but a new survey says 72% of Brits under 30 have no idea how to read the clock. <laughs> Why doesn't it just tell me the time like my phone does? 
says 24-year-old Londoner Lindsay Davies. Those hands are confusing, especially because they don't have fingers. <laughs> they should call them arms. And, and why the Roman numerals? I don't speak Roman. <laughs> but change could be coming. Member of Parliament Royston Brimble says the outdated clock is, quote, pure codswallop. <laughs> which is the most British sentence I've ever said. <laughs> he wants Britain to modernize, so he's proposing that an LED digital clock crawl be attached to Big Ben, right under the old clock. So, quote, our famous clock tower can be enjoyed by many illiterate generations to come. <laughs> All right. Here are the three landmarks of world history that might be in danger. Is it from Peter Gross, the Sydney Opera House being shaken to pieces by an opera inside it? From Roxanne Roberts, the mysterious heads of Easter Island being eroded by tourists picking their noses? Or from Peter Dabru, Big Ben, which is in danger by the fact that nobody knows how to read a clock anymore? <laughs> You know, as someone who works with young people and has to tell them what time it is all day long, I'm going to have to go with C. You're going to have to go with C, that you think they're going to put a digital readout on, on Big Ben so that kids these days, that, that's your choice. Yes, I think I have to go with C. All right. <laughs> You've chosen then Petey's story. Well, to bring you the correct answer, we spoke to someone who's doing their best to try to preserve this landmark. On Easter Island, one of the things they like to do is tickle the statues, pick their nose, or <laughs> approach the statues and touch them. That was Dr. Joanne Von Tilburg, director of the Easter Island Statue Project, talking about tourist habit of picking the noses of the giant heads. So uh, you were fooled by Petey giving him a wonderful debut on our show and that he fooled you. We hope you didn't win our prize. But you did win a point for Petey, his first in this game, so thank you so much for playing. Thank you. All right, take Bye. care. And now the game where accomplished people come on to try to do something not generally worth accomplishing. It's called Not My Job. Legend has it that when a young man named Bill Gates asked his college dorm mate, Steve Ballmer, to come help run his new company called Microsoft, Ballmer wasn't sure. He was just looking for a summer gig. Didn't want to commit to a real job. Well, 40 years or so later, Mr. Ballmer is retired from his job as CEO of Microsoft. He owns the LA Clippers of the NBA, and he's created a new nonprofit called USA Facts. Mr. Ballmer, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So I guess, I guess first story, first things first, is that story true that when, the, when Bill Gates asked you to join him in this company, you were like, I don't know? I was like, I don't know, a dropout of school, what did that mean? I mean, my parents didn't go to college and they want me to drop out of business <laughs> school. I was a little uh, skeptical, but Bill was the smartest guy I ever knew. So that was a real positive thing. Right. And so, uh, so you didn't drop out of college like, like Bill did. He had done that. You dropped out of, uh, was it Stanford Business School? Exactly, right. exactly. I, I do have a degree at least, I probably think, <laughs> and my parents were very, very happy about that. Did you ever lord it over Bill? Because, well, at least I graduated, Bill. 
You know, I'm not sure that would have worked for much. <laughs> I don't think so. And, and I'm curious about this. So your parents, you say your parents hadn't gone to college. You were the first person in your family to do that. So when, when you said to the mom, dad, I know you've supported me and I, I got my Harvard degree, but now I'm going to drop out of Stanford Business School and I'm going to go do this thing. The idea is that everybody will have their own computer. Did they like say, oh, okay, makes sense. No. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I would say, you know, I don't know what the, the protocol is on your show, but they lost their... They, yeah. lost it. <laughs> really? they they actually uh, my, they actually had some good questions though. My uh, dad asked what software. Now this is 1980. Huh. It wasn't the craziest question. What and my is mother software? Asked, Why would a person ever need a computer? Right. Wow. <laughs> did you did you believe in it? Did you actually had Bill or whatever convinced you? Yes, this is the wave of the future. Any everybody's going to have their own computer soon, and we're going to provide the software. Well, you know that's that's kind of what I thought, and then I move up here, and within a, a month. I thought, Jesus, Pete, I dropped out of Stanford Business School to be a bookkeeper for a tiny little company. So I started talking to Bill about dropping back in at Stanford because really? I knew they would take me back. And uh, Bill, whenever he was trying to make the, the most, he'd bring his dad, all six feet, seven of them. He hmm. brought him to dinner, and he said, Steve, Steve, you don't get it. We're going to put a computer on every desk and in every home. And I was mesmerized and afraid of his dad. So yeah, well. <laughs> uh, you, while you were, I mean, uh, there's a famous photograph of the Microsoft staff in the early days, uh, Bill Gates and, um, and his partner, Paul Allen, the late Paul Allen. And I'm not sure if you're in that photo that I'm thinking of, but man, do they no, look. The Gang of 13, I wasn't here when the Gang of 13 migrated from Albuquerque to Seattle. They, they look so nerdy. It <laughs> <laughs> looks like 13 people with 13 asthma inhalers at the ready. <laughs> Was it really like that? Were you like hanging out with guys with pocket protectors? Because you were a pretty, you were a big guy, you were an athlete. Were you like hanging out with these guys and going, what am I doing with these nerds? Uh, well, I mean, it was a it was a pretty nerdy place. Writing software is a pretty nerdy profession. And oh, by the way, dude, I was not an athlete. I was a team manager, which some might say. I was just surprised because I, I understand you were you were like a big guy and you played sports, but you were the team manager. I was a big guy, a team manager, and a math major. <laughs> oh, wow. I can hear already in your voice your famous enthusiasm. There's a very famous video from it must be 20 years ago. I love that. With you, uh, oh, you're at a developer's conference, and you, and you start shouting. Developers, 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 developers. <laughs> That's, I think I remember. That, and, and you're kind of, I'm just going to be blunt with you because I think you can take it. You seem insane. <laughs> I mean, I'm not in the business, so I, did, I wasn't quite sure who you were. And I'm like, a crazy person has taken over the stage at this Microsoft conference. And is, like, is that you? Is that like the Steve Ballmer that your colleagues knew? I would say, thank goodness, I have a few different sides. <laughs> uh, but, you know, enthusiastic is one, thoughtful and kind of deeply thinking is another. A little rough around the edges is a third. I, I got them all, baby. You, yeah. I That's great. All when does that side, the side that we saw in that famous video, when does that Steve Bomber tend to emerge? 
uh, when the Clippers are down 31 <laughs> against the Warriors and pull the biggest comeback in NBA playoffs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you, you, as, as everybody knows, you were an early employee of Microsoft. That company did very well. Um, you had the wherewithal to buy the Clippers. Is there something about your life that would surprise people who, who might imagine what a life of a man like you is? Well, I think probably the most surprising to most people is when I was a kid and even into college, I was a very, very shy person. Hmm. Really? I had a hard time speaking up in class. When I started my first job, I, I met a guy that day and he, he describes it this way. Hi, I'm Steve Ballmer, and my hands are really sweaty because I'm really nervous to meet you. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> and are you still like that? Is As that... you could tell on this show, I'm just a shy retired You are, I can tell. It's so hard to get anything to get out, out of you. there and go crazy <laughs> for developers. Ah, I'm glad you embraced the image. Well, Steve Ballmer, it is an actual pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for being with us. But we have asked you here to play a game we are calling. Slap me on your dry, cracked lips. You're Steve Ballmer. <laughs> so yes, we're going to ask you about Lip Ballmer. <laughs> why? I don't know. Why did you buy the Clippers? Because you could. <laughs> Answer two out of three questions about Lip Balm correctly. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners, the voice of their choice in their voicemail. Bill, who is Steve Ballmer playing for? Keely Hicks of Seattle, Washington, who won our Alexa Smart Speaker quiz. That could be in your future if you have one. All right, Steve, you ready to play? I'm ready. All right, here's your first question. Lip balm is popular, really, really popular. So popular, in fact, that which of these actually exists? A, Lip Balm of the Day Club would send you a new flavor of lip balm every 24 hours because they know you already lost the last one. <laughs> B, Lip Balm Anonymous, a 12-step program for lip balm addicts. Or C, Carmex Full Body Balm for people who want that feeling everywhere. <laughs> uh, easy, Lip Balm Anonymous. Yes, my God. I was about to, you seemed so sure. I was going to ask you if you'll remember, but I know you couldn't tell me. Um, yeah, some people think that p the manufacturers make lip balm to be addictive. Next question, while it's great for your lips, chapstick has other uses, including which of these? A, it's the most efficient and minty way to make sure your pancakes don't stick to the pan. Yeah. B, in 1988, a prisoner in North Dakota used lip balm to help him slide out of his handcuffs and escape prison. Or C, loaded into a revolver, tubes of lip balm make a non-lethal but effective ammunition for deterring attackers. I'm going to North Dakota and greasing my way out of <laughs> Yes, exactly right. That's the answer. The same prisoner was captured, but the, then he later, in another caper, mailed himself out of a prison. The guy was good. <laughs> Last question, the most famous lip balm brand is Chapstick. It was invented by the same man who also invented what? A, the first working nuclear reactor, B, the fleet enema, or C, the powdered form of cocaine. <laughs> Now, now you're kind of getting me tough, but it's got to be the powder form of cocaine. <laughs> oh, you pronounced it in the original Peruvian style, too. No, it was actually the fleet enema. 
Turns out that Dr. Charles Fleet worked both ends. <laughs> Bill, how did Steve Ballmer do in our quiz? Steve got two out of three, and Steve, that's a win. Congratulations! Steve Ballmer is the owner of the LA Clippers and the founder of USAFacts.org, a nonprofit offering a data-driven portrait of American government. Steve Ballmer, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. What a joy to talk to you. Thank you, sir. In just a minute, Bill's wearing Daisy Dukes in our Listener Limerick Challenge game. Call one wait wait to join us on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. When you can't be there in person, Zoom. Zoom is used by millions to connect face-to-face across town or around the world. Share files, video, anything, and connect through any device, desktop, laptop, tablet, smartphone, or conference room system. Zoom video conferencing, Zoom rooms, Zoom video webinars, and Zoom phone let you do business at the speed of Zoom. Visit Zoom online to set up your free account today. Meet happy with Zoom. Hey, it's Ophira Eisenberg from Ask Me Another. If you're craving nerdy trivia or celebrity interviews, we've got you covered. With house musician Jonathan Colton and the sharpest contestants in public radio, don't miss NPR's hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We are playing this week with Pete Diabru, Peter Gross, and Roxanne Roberts. And here again is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium in downtown Chicago, Peter Sagal. Thank you so much. In just a minute. Come on to Bill's Rhymper Room in our Listener Limerick Challenge game. If you'd like to play, give us a call at one wait wait That's one 924 8924 Right now, panel, some more questions for you from the week's news. Roxanne, this week, Colorado Senator Michael Bennett became the 21st announced Democratic candidate for president, yes. which causes a specific problem for the Democrats. What is it? I'm going to say, is it the debates where they can only fit, like, a, they were going to split them up in two debates and they could only put, like, 11 on a stage or something well, you've like got that? It. There's not enough room at the debates. Okay. That's exactly All right. right. Okay. We've known for months that there are too many Democrats running for president, but now it's official. <laughs> now, the first Democratic debates, and I say debates, are scheduled for June with 10 candidates a night for two nights, 20 spots. Now there's an extra candidate. And the DNC is not happy about this. They don't want to be accused of favoritism, like they were in 2016. So they've adopted a policy of pretending we love all our kids equally. <laughs> but it's like the dining room table is only so big, so they're going to have to make Pete Buttigieg go eat in the garage in a car table. <laughs> Sounds like more like WrestleMania than it does like, yeah. like there's 21 people, really two nights in June. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how? to see it. I want him to do nine each time and I want him to do it in the Hollywood Square Where's format. Wow. <laughs> um, so the DNC has a plan. They're going to get up at the first debate and they say this debate is overbooked so we need volunteers to take a later debate <laughs> for a $300 voucher and a guaranteed spot in the cabinet. <laughs> Petey, authorities in Norway say they've captured a Russian spy. Who is it? A beluga whale. That's right, Peter. <laughs> I 
jokes on that story. This week, Norwegian fishermen spotted this beluga whale when they noticed it had this equipment harness on it that was labeled St. Petersburg. <laughs> Further evidence it was a spy came when they asked it its species and it said, whale, beluga whale. <laughs> That they tried to get the whale to talk by waterboarding, and ma'am, was that not effective? <laughs> so the Russians didn't even deny it. They said, yeah, we've been using whales to spy for years, and also we are told your submarines don't taste good. Get on them. <laughs> this news is tough for the reputation of whales. So far, until now, seen as innocent in the affairs of men. Especially killer whales. Mm -hmm who are now going to have to explain, look, man, it's just my species. I work at the agency as an analyst. <laughs> <laughs> so I have two questions. Yes, Roxanne. All right, this harness, I saw a picture yes. of, this, of this whale, and it looked, I felt like it looked like it was too small for him. It looked like, <laughs> did, did yeah, you? Yeah. Didn't it look it like a he training kind of harness. They grew up, you know, these whales, they, they grew, grew up so fast. fast. <laughs> it was just... Is this the, the little, little whale I carry? <laughs> Coming up, it's lightning fill in the blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at one triple eight. Wait, wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Or you can click the Contact Us link on our website, waitwait.npr.org. There you can find out about attending our weekly live shows here at the Chase Bank Auditorium in Chicago and our upcoming shows June 27th at the Mann Center in Philadelphia and July 18th at the Blossom Music Center in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Also, if you've ever thought this show would be way better if you were playing, first, step back. That's insulting to our panelists. We paid a lot of money to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Second, you can play our games on our smart speaker quiz. Just ask your smart speaker to play the Wait Wait quiz. Hi, you are on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me. Hi, this is Deborah Bowman from Short Hills, New Jersey. Short Hills, New Jersey? I grew up very near there. In fact, uh, when I was growing up, my mall, the one where we went mauling, was the, was the Short Hills Mall. I spent, yes, I bet it's changed a lot since then. I hope so. It was pretty. <laughs> Is it still there? Tell me it's still there. Oh, it's still there. I try to avoid it at all costs. Right. <laughs> well, welcome to our show, Deborah. Bill Curtis is going to read you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly, and two of the limericks will be a winner. You ready to play? Yes, that'd all right. be great. Here is your first limerick. My office space cannot be beat. It's a curbside executive suite. My space I am marking with three bucks for parking. My desk is set up on the street. Yes, exactly <laughs> right. Rent, as we know, in San Francisco is off the charts and co-working spaces cost a thousand bucks a month. But it turns out you can rent a cozy little rectangle of workspace for as little as $2 an hour, as long as you're sitting there with a turn signal blinking on your desk when the Subaru pulls out. <laughs> this movement of using parking spaces on the street as office space started in the Bay Area and has spread as far as France. It's a lot like WeWork, but instead of having to deal with annoying coworkers you don't know, you just keep getting dinged in the butt by a minivan. <laughs> Do you have people over? 
to be yes, like, it, I mean, <laughs> like, I'm going to impress you with my luxurious it, it's kind, I mean, it's, I mean, it's people are actually doing, and it's sort of a protest against like real estate prices. Yeah. But there, if you can see pictures, people bring their desk, they bring power cables, they hook up their lamps, they have meetings. You know, it's like right there in, in the, the car, just next to the. No, there's yeah. no car. They just put oh, the desk so on they, the parking lot. They're, oh, they're just feeding the meter. Yeah, feed the meter. You know. And this is legal. Apparently. I mean, there's uh, there's no law that says, says you have to put a car, car in the, the park. parking space. You just have pay, to pay the space. Pay the meter. You can sit there. Seems like a loophole. You'd think. <laughs> it's a loophole so big you can drive a desk through it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here is your next limerick. The girl in the live report snorts. Men once wore them for indoor court sports. When legs aren't wimpy. Then you can go skimpy. Hey, man, slip on these really short. Short shorts. Yes, short yeah. shorts. Short shorts. Short shorts. Despite. Good to figure that one out. How terrible they look. Prada, Fendi, and Missoni are making shorts for men that are very short. That's the new thing. Go towards the light, men. And by light, they mean the light, pallid part of your inner thigh. <laughs> Short shorts or, quote, mini skirts for men are hitting the racks this summer. They're being tastefully styled with blazers and ties for professionals or paired with the shame teens for that embarrassing father look. <laughs> How much do they cost? Oh, they cost, of course, hundreds and hundreds of dollars because you're supposed to pay this for that sort of thing. Uh, okay, I mean, so it's, this is a scam that I think they're running on men that, of course, they've been running on women for probably centuries, which is they say, well, you had to wear your shorts down to your knees. And you buy a bunch of shorts down to your knees, and the next thing you say, oh no, you've got to buy them so they hardly, hardly so that everybody can tell if you're Jewish. I mean, that's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here is your last limerick. For confessional ears, it's a toss up. Who will not run their mouth like a faucet? If secrets you harbor, tell priests or a barber. The Pope told them both. They can't. Little gossip? tricky. Gossip, yes, yes. gossip. Gossip. This week, this week, Pope Francis addressed a gathering over 200 hairdressers and beauticians. Because apparently he had no poping to do, so. And he told them to avoid the, quote, temptation of gossip that is easily associated with your work, unquote. He then gave his next pronouncement, asking the sun not to shine. <laughs> Where, where was that? It was apparently, I think it was in the Vatican that they came to see him. And they were like, hey, every, you, you hairdressers, I know what your stereotype is. That's, so, it's kind of cool that he would know that that's the stereotype of... of well, this is the Pope of the people, the Popolo del yeah. Popolo. So, as it were. He knows what's up. So he reads page six. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bold face Never names. page three, though. Yeah. The, um, yeah. the Pope is in a Never tough... page six, and then page six, and then page six again. Oh, no. <laughs> That's the devil's newspaper. <laughs> Bill, how did Deborah do in our quiz? She did really well. She got everyone right. Congratulations. Well done. Thank you, Deborah. Thank I'll, you. It was fun. I'll see you hanging in front of Bloomingdale's at the mall. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Choiceology. 
an original podcast from Charles Schwab. On Choiceology, host Katie Milkman shares stories about the subtle human biases that shape our perceptions and decisions. The latest episode looks at the fall of France during World War II and how events that came to be seen as inevitable in hindsight were actually not. You can download it and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. Support also comes from NPR sponsor Custom Inc., who wants you to know about the belongingness hypothesis, which sounds made up but is absolutely real, that holds that a sense of belonging has a positive impact on your emotions and the way you think. One thing that can improve your sense of belonging is matching custom gear from Custom Inc., Their easy-to-use website provides great design resources and hundreds of products. Build belonging with your groups through custom gear. For full details and 10% off your next order, go to customink.com slash wait. Now on to our final game, Lightning Fill-in-the-Blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as he or she can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores? We have a three-way tie. Everyone has three. All right. They're all tied at three. I am going to arbitrarily decide that, Petey, you're going to go first. The clock will start when I begin your first question, fill in the blank. On Wednesday, the White House asked Congress for an additional $4.5 billion to address issues at the blank. Opera? No. (laughs) (laughs) At the border. This week, WikiLeaks founder Blank was sentenced to 50 weeks in prison for jumping bail in the UK. Putin? No, that's close. It's close. Julian Assange, according to a poll released on Thursday, Blank has a 26-point lead in the race for the Democratic presidential nomination. Biden? Yes. (laughs) Among the memorabilia on sale for this weekend's Kentucky Derby race is a $200 blank. Saddle? No, jar of a previous derby-winning horse's poop. (laughs) To Kill a Mockingbird and the Ferryman led the nominations for the 2019 Blank Awards. Tony's? Yes. A beloved parrot at a zoo in Brazil is attracting new visitors. After it was revealed, he survived blank. The Avengers Endgame? No. (laughs) The parrot survived being caught in a shootout, bitten by a snake, and kidnapped by poachers. (laughs) (laughs) Freddy the parrot is either the luckiest or unluckiest bird in the world. He was brought to the zoo after getting caught in a shootout between his former drug-dealing owners and police. Once at the zoo, he was bitten by a giant snake, and a few days after that, kidnapped by exotic animal sellers. Hmm. He's been recovered, and to relax, he's looking forward to going on a wonderful cruise with a bunch of Scientologists. Measles <laughs> <laughs> is going to take him out. <laughs> Bill, how did Petey do in our quiz? Petey got two right, four more points, and is in the lead with seven. All right. Peter, I'm going to have you go next on fill in the blank, Peter. On Wednesday, the Trump administration filed a request to a federal appeals court to strike down the entirety of blank. Uh, The Obamacare. Right. On Monday, the White House ordered tougher restrictions on people seeking blank. Visas? Uh, Asylum. Oh, asylum. Right, right, On Thursday, Stephen Moore withdrew from consideration for the blank. (laughs) Fed. Yes, Federal Reserve Board. Over 800,000 people were told to evacuate as a giant cyclone headed toward blank. My house? (laughs) (laughs) India. Best known for Boys in the Hood, Oscar-nominated director Blank passed away this week at the age of 51. John Singleton. Yes, following their NCAA win, the University of Virginia men's basketball team declined an invitation to Blank. The White House. Right. A busy street in downtown Chicago was closed off after police spotted a suspicious object, which turned out to be Blank. 
uh, it was a drunken Cubs fan fighting a drunken White Sox fan. No? In, a, in one of those hamster balls, you let me finish. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, although that would be great. No, it was a can of Chef Boyardee on wheels. You can't, you know, sure, it turned out to be harmless, but you know the old slogan, if you Chef Boyar see something, Chef Boyar say something. <laughs> Police had completely cordoned off the street before realizing that the suspicious mechanical object was a can of pasta on wheels that a student had made for a school project. In response to the event, the police released an official statement saying, quote, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill, how did Pete Gross do in our quiz? He got four right, eight more points, total of 11. He's climbing up there. All right, now, I have chosen Roxanne to go last because I know how much she likes to come up from behind. How many does she need to win? Four to tie, five to win. Here we go, Roxanne. This is for the game. Fill in the blank. Following a meeting with President Trump, Democratic leaders announced a $2 trillion plan to improve blank. Infrastructure. Right. On Wednesday, Naruhito, the new emperor of blank, formally took the throne. The new emperor of Japan. Right. This week, Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido said he doesn't have enough military backing to oust current president blank. Maduro. Right. This week, the U.S. women's national team announced their roster for the 2019 blank. World Cup. Right. When Vice President Pence gave a speech in the USS Harry Truman on Tuesday, sailors said they were instructed to blank hmm. when he arrived. Uh, to... Pray? No, to, quote, clap like we're at a strip club. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Mike Pence. <laughs> <laughs> With $1.2 billion in ticket sales, the latest movie in the blank series smashed opening weekend records. Avengers Ro Endgame. Yes, on Tuesday, Maine became the first state to ban food containers made of blank. Styrofoam. Right, an employee at a Domino's in Houston was cited for assault after he punched a co-worker who blanked. Stole his pizza? No, after he spoiled the end of the new Avengers movie. <laughs> Officers say the employee punched his coworker in the chest after he revealed massive spoilers about Avengers Endgame during their shift. Sadly, the spoilers didn't end there, and this is totally true. The arresting officer's police report also spoiled the movie for anyone who read it. <laughs> Because it said in there, this is what the person said to the other person? Yeah. The officer has since tried to backpedal, saying that he made all the spoilers up, just like Kevin Spacey's character made up that whole story at the end of The Usual Suspects. <laughs> Bill, did Roxanne do well enough to win this time? I think so. Six right, 12 more points, 15 wins! In just a minute, we're going to ask our panelists to predict what Bill Barr and Bob Mueller will do to rekindle their friendship. Special thanks once again to Stock and Ledger for providing the sustenance needed to survive another day. <laughs> wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions' Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Tyler Green, assisted by Simon Tran and Mary D'Olio. Our interns are Rachel Klepper and Alex McGowan. Our web guru is Beth Novi. B.J. Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Dornboss, and Lillian King. Our impossible producer is Peter Gwynn, just like the real thing. Technical direction is from Lorna White. Special thanks this week to our old friend, Gary Yek. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production coordinator is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Chillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael Danforth. Now, what will Bob Mueller and William Barr do to recapture their old friendship? P.D. DeBrayer. 
Uh, I think they'll probably go for a stroll downtown Chicago, uh, go to the Bean, look at each other's reflections in the Bean, and just realize they were friends all along. (laughs) (laughs) Roxanne Roberts. They're going to settle into the couch and binge watch season five of The Great British Baking Show. (laughs) (laughs) And Peter Gross. They're going to make each other friendship bracelets, get matching t-shirts, and then go to Burger King for some salty leg blood burgers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if any of that happens, we're going to ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Peter Gross, Roxanne Roberts, and our new friend, Peter Dabu. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Peter Sagal. We'll see you next week in St. Louis. This is NPR.